we go. We're back. Dr. Jenna Burton is here. I'm here. The Zoom Sphere is here. And we're going to be talking today about pain. This is this is going to be a lot of fun. It's been a while since we actually got to talk. So, man, I'm, I'm excited. James, I've forgotten who you are. It's been so long. <laughs> You know, it's 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 living in this era. Sometimes you see people in person. Sometimes it's on FaceTime. Sometimes it's on a Zoom. It's it's just I find it's just one big never-ending loop. And it, I mean, it's good, but I've lost all sort of understanding of time. Yeah, I regularly have to be reminded what date it is, and I really hate that feeling, but I don't know what date it is. I can't believe in September. Yeah. It still feels like it's March. I, I totally I get it, James. I'm lost. I feel like, I, I, what is it they say in the UK? I don't know if you have this in Canada. I fly by the seat of my pants. That's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Flying by the seat of my pants. And that's, you know, I think it's, uh, yeah, I think if, if, as long as we embrace it, and I've had a lot of great conversations with Cheryl. She's now going to be a regular. And I know we've. Great. Yeah. And so I think that that would be her advice. Embrace flying by the seat of your pants. Get a checkup every now and then. But just do it. And everyone will be happy. <laughs> Cheryl is a really unique personality, I think, because obviously Cheryl is a psychotherapist. She's a really well-educated and She's had some great experience, psychotherapist, but she doesn't have that typical, you know, with some therapists, they've got that over the top almost. Yeah. So tell me how you're feeling. She's yeah. just a really normal person that happens to be a psychotherapist. Yeah. Nothing think- against the psychotherapist <laughs> or the psychiatrist of the world, but she's a very down to earth, normal, yeah. just conversation with, she's great. We, we want, we've been meaning to talk about pain for quite a while. I want to, I want to get us right into the, to the zone here because when we started this conversation, I'm going to back up a little bit. When we started the conversation, it was pain, it was opioid addictions and things, which isn't such a, an issue here in the UAE because opioids are banned. And it's very difficult to, if you're, you know, if you've got major pain in a hospital, I, I'm sure that there is a possibility for some, but that is, it's so controlled that it is a very difficult pain relief to get with those. But it was funny because as we started talking about it and we started saying, hey, you know, we got to talk about pain and and we should talk about opioids. The WHO had a post on their Instagram last week talking about opioids and uh, in a sense, a global crisis of these things because they are so addictive. And I, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, and it's twofold, isn't it? Because we're talking about an addiction, but we're also talking about a genuine need for pain relief. And what is quite common is that you start off with somebody that does require significant pain relief, whether it's for a few months, maybe even less than that, or whether it's maybe six months, 12 months, because often people have got chronic pain, which is above the sort of three month mark. And then they get reliant on these medications. It makes them feel different. They quite like the feeling. And then suddenly they don't want to give it up. And you will find, you talked about the UAE, has got an incredibly strict prescribing type habit here. So we're very reluctant to give opioids in, in the UAE. You look at somewhere that the UK or America, 
where and if you think about a film with somebody with an opioid addiction it's often an american type film we're a bit more ready to prescribe opioids less commonly do we prescribe something like diazepam which again has got addictive qualities and can often be used for pain relief and then you flash forward to the australia where i used to work and again they're less happy to prescribe opioids but very happy to prescribe diazepam or one of the other benzodiazepines so it's also very different in whatever area you're working in so I want to let's let's start off this chat with just generally about pain, because one of the things that I always forget, and I, I think I think a lot of us do this is we generalize with pain. And when I think pain, I think headache. And then maybe, oh, I've got an ache in my my elbow or, oh, I, you know, you, you get these aches and pains. And suddenly when you start thinking about pain and you start talking to someone about it, there are so many different types of pain from acute to radicular. And, you know, can, can you walk through this list for us of generally <laughs> speaking, what, when we talk pain, what are we talking about? What are these different things? You know, it depends on how you categorize pain. And if you were to Google, just type into Google different types of pain or what other types of pain, each each link that you came across would give you a different way of categorizing it. So the most common is to look at acute versus chronic. And ac acute tends to be something has happened, you're feeling pain, it'll have a start and it'll have an end. And that's usually, as I say, around the three to six month mark. Chronic pain is usually something that is a little bit more debilitating in the fact that it will go on a lot longer and you're looking at three to six months and above so that is somebody that might have a chronic headache or people suffer with yeah, chronic okay. migraines to use your example of headaches so it's not like they've had one acute episode and then nothing this is someone that might get it on a regular basis more commonly you think about back pain people yeah. can suffer with back pain for years oh everyone's or, got that it's acute right it's everyone's yeah <laughs> everyone's got a, a terrible terrible back, back pain it goes on forever uh, or you're actually looking at somebody that has got a chronic disability and pain is a part of that disability a lot of cancer patients for instance especially if they have a terminal illness they will have chronic pain for the rest of their life people often suffer with often a neuropathic type pain so that brings me on to acute versus chronic chronic and then there's different types of pain so tends to be broken down into three so you've got neuropathic pain which is because one of the nerves is firing, that could be a problem with the brain, the nerve itself, or you can have nociceptive type pain, which is where you might injure a joint or a tendon or something like that, something that tends to be more muscular, and it will be like more of a throbbing type pain. And the other one is radicular, uh, so like a radiculopathy, and that is when the nerve is actually compressed, and again, it causes quite a sharp burning pain. However, I still feel like there are so many other ways of categorizing pain, you know, um, and I wouldn't be able to just put them into a simple category. You've got visceral pain, that's pain from an organ, and that's usually a stretching, like an inflammation type pain. Um, or you've got something which is more somatic, which is, again, like a tendon. It just depends. There's lots and lots of different ways. Functional pain, a pain where people believe the pain is there, but as a medical society, we can't find where that pain is coming from. Some really common with fibromyalgia. You know, there are so many different ways that you can you can look at pain. So the most common is acute versus chronic or looking into, is it a neuropathic or, or not, or a radiculopathy? And then there's a whole magnitude of different types of pain within there. So this pain really becomes a staple in the medical profession. I mean, it, this is, I, I mean, I, I would love to know, 
you know, if we went to a, a standard practice and started, you know, just had the doctors for one day fill in a form, you know, how many people are coming in with some version of pain as part of whatever treatment they're seeking, it's got to be, you know, 60, 70%. James, even more than that. Really? Because if you think, if you look at an A&E type clinic or you look at an outpatient clinic, virtually every medical illness will have some pain associated. And often that is in the acute sense. So someone might come in with a migraine, uh, there's pain associated. Someone might have fallen over and hurt their wrist. There's there's a pain to manage along with everything else. And pain's very important to manage because it raises blood pressure, it raises your heart rate. So then you've got people might have a, a urine infection and yeah. oh, guess what? They've got pain of their bladder because of the inflammation or because, you know, of the pain, their inflammation of the urethra, of the bladder being uncomfortable, discomfort in their lower abdomen. Pain is usually associated with almost everything. So then you've got the people that have got chronic type pain. And again, that's a bigger bulk of people than you would imagine. Mm. So much so in the UK now, they don't just hand out pain relief. They also handing out almost like counseling sessions or education sessions. Yeah, people have to go. They go on a course where they learn about their pain. They accept the pain. There's huge depression associated with pain. Imagine waking up every day knowing that maybe for the next few years, potentially for the rest of your life, you're going to have to struggle with pain. It's, you know, one, that's not very nice for you on a day-to-day basis. And two, that's quite a huge thing to get your head around. So people have got to accept the pain and then they can learn to manage it as well as also taking pain relief as and when they need. So when, when we talk pain, and of course we've got, you've got, you've broken it down into a, a number of different categories. One of the things that I, I start to wonder is, is, are, are we doing enough to, and, and you talked about the NHS and you talked about the UK where you, you not only are they handing out pain meds, but they're also helping people with counseling to work with pain. But when it comes to the, the taking something for relief, you know, grab a panel, Panadol, grab whatever, do those things, re- are, are we doing enough to help on that side or are we just kind of shooting in the dark? You know, I got a little bit of pain, take a pan at all. That'll sort you out. You know, I, I, I sometimes wonder. I wouldn't say that we're doing enough. However, it's also not a shoot in the dark either. So it's it's very regimented. And again, each country will have their pain, pain ladder. And that is you start off with Panadol. You might go to an NSAID. In the UK, we'd move to a very um, very mild opioid. We'd then maybe add in other adjuncts, maybe like a benzodiazepine for muscle relaxation. Uh, and then we would then increase up the opioid scale. So it's all, it's very well thought through and, and you know, evidence driven as to how you should move up the pain scale. And then as quickly as you can you move back down it as well because you don't want one addictions to occur and two if you take medications for long enough your body can actually get you can stop um being as sensitive to them you, you right. do develop a bit of a resistance to them and you need to keep adding more in as time goes on and that is with very very chronic types of pain uh, and, and again there are professions of the anesthetic department that focus entirely on pain they are pain specialists so you've got very very well qualified people there helping manage pain whether it's through injections or oral medications or patches however are we doing enough no probably not i don't feel and i don't think many people feel that the nhs or any other medical profession can help with pain enough it's there is a limit look at how many people suffer with back pain and they're probably seeing a specialist they're probably 
going to see their doctor on a regular basis. But I do feel that pain is one of the best places that maybe alternative forms of healthcare can be really useful. So acupuncture, looking maybe at CBT, maybe they could look at something totally different. There's, there's lots of different like Bowen therapy. And I think it's craniosacral therapy. There's lots of other things that people try and get relief from that we can't offer as a medical profession that are maybe worth sampling, exploring, reading about, maybe just having a try with. And, and it's that catch 22, isn't it? Because in one breath we're thinking, look, I've, I've got my whole medical profession that I've invested in and they follow me and they track me and, and I can trust. And then maybe I need some alter, some to, to, to mix in some of the alternatives and how, how much can I trust that? And, and what do I do? And who knows? And who's regulating and, 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 and it's, and, and you've already got the pain. You've already got things that are going on, whether it's chronic or acute. And now you've got to start asking all these other questions. It just adds a little bit of anxiety. And I think pain can create quite a bit of anxiety because you just want it to go away. Yeah, of course. And people are impatient because yeah. they want it gone now. So that level of having to accept some form of pain can be difficult. And it, it is, it's a whole minefield out there, especially when you move outside of the very, very regulated medical profession and you move into areas where people maybe have done one day course or yeah. like Ryan and Sean Penny that we met, the, the Wellness Brothers, they've spent years studying in university to be able to offer complementary treatments. Right. And all I would say is, is either work with a doctor that has done their research on more alternative forms of medicine or do your own research and it, often people will take a position such as I which is where I say to somebody look I can't recommend anybody I don't I don't know enough about it all I can tell you is that there have been other other patients of mine that have gone they've done their homework and they've sought something else and they've had they've had some relief with it but can I just add as a little proviso is that you must always if you have any pain you must always go and see your doctor and get checked out for everything that could be causing it first so this is for people that have ticked all the boxes that there's nothing right. else medical wrong or we know what is medically wrong with you but we're just not getting on top of your pain and the next step is maybe more and more opioids or more and more pain medications maybe at that point it's worth trying something something alternative to add on to, to what is being provided by your doctor one one of the things i always find really interesting about pain is that you might get you know you might have pain in a muscle or a joint or you know somewhere on your body and where that pain is actually coming from or what's triggering it, what's causing it is not actually where you're feeling the pain. And I, I often find this very interesting. Well, if you think about it, you only have so many nerves in your body. And although there are lots and lots and lots of nerves, I have no idea what number, but millions of nerves in your body, we still don't have enough for every single tiny millimeter of skin or every millimeter of organs to be able to make one specific route up to your brain to say, I know that that pain's coming from that little millimeter of my stomach or that little millimeter of my finger. And so what happens is you'll often get nerves that, that join. So for instance, that there's a real typical one that if somebody has pain in the top of their left shoulder, that they might have problems with their stomach or something in oh, intra-abdominal. Really? Yeah, there's actually a special name for it. And I, I, I definitely knew it for medical school, but I can't remember it now. Um, but you're looking at an intra-abdominal problem. And so often say, oh gosh, I'm feeling a bit of discomfort in the top of my left shoulder. 
um, you would have to then explore something intra-abdominally as well because the nerves, the, a particular nerve will join with the dermatome, which is the area of skin on the top of your shoulder uh, and tell your brain that there's a problem. But the brain is is not sophisticated enough, I suppose, to decipher where that's coming from. Um, and if the, the both if two nerves join from different regions and join together, then the body has absolutely no way of knowing which one it's come from because it now works as one single nerve. Wow. So this is this this creates a whole dilemma when we're trying when someone says you know, I'm feeling pain and that that need to talk to your the, whatever professional you're dealing with to describe and walk them through what you're feeling where you're feeling it if there's other things going on because there there could be this interconnection and if you're not sharing they then the the information's not out there yeah, and don't forget as well with pain is that you might have, especially stomach pain, say upper left quadrant pain. There's a whole magnitude of things that could be causing that. And sometimes it's actually not even something that's there. So for instance, a central umbilical pain. So that's that's a central portion of your stomach around your um your belly button um if that comes on quite suddenly that actually could be pain that is coming from your appendix which is over on the very right hand side of your stomach wow. but it'll take time to migrate over so people that will often then look up right i've got pain here it's not always the organ that you would think it would be because pain can start in one place and then migrate over time also the pain could be causing by another organ that is compressing on it from externally so again and, and that could be due to a, a tumor it could be inflammation it's always worth if you've got a new pain to go and get it investigated and then tick all the boxes yep okay i know it's nothing sinister i know that i'm safe and then it then we're just looking at looking at pains charts with how we can treat you most appropriately as opposed to needing to do further investigations to check that you're well wow um i've got a question again about treating pain and there's two questions one you talked about the latter you talked about the pain ladder, and this is that one you always we always hear doctors saying. So is it you know one what, <laughs> between one and seven? How are you feeling? And and I'm often wondering. I hope my seven is the same as your seven, or my two is. How, t- talk oh, it'll to be me. different, James. Yeah, well, <laughs> I mean, I'm for sure there will be. So how do tell talk to me a little bit about the thinking in how we assess the the extent of pain. It's really difficult, isn't it? So we have we have a pediatric way of assessing pain, and we have an adult's way of assessing pain. Of course, pediatrics it would be looking looking at faces and how how unhappy they are due to the pain. And the typical one for adults is to say, "What is your pain score?" And that is a subjective pain score, one to ten. And believe me, everybody's one to ten is very different. I've seen patients tell me that it's oh, it's an eleven doctor, and they're sat there sat up like drinking their cup of tea, um, <laughs> and it kind of it kind of goes in a bit of a loop and so you have an objective pain score and um, we wouldn't give an objective pain score that's actually not correct but we would have an objective view on their pain so are they squirming around are they crying out seeking for attention sometimes people do cry when they're in pain but you can just tell how much somebody is in pain from looking at them Um, sometimes people lie so still and they don't want to move and that's because they're in real severe pain so but you, you must ask subjectively how do you feel and then we will give our own account of look how do we think they are and there's there's often clues as well um 
you will have different signs, especially for stomach pain, where there's so many organs, different signs for different things of like whether we think that they are actually in pain for that particular organ or not. Um, and and you, you get that for lots of different things. Even if you're assessing the knee, there's, there's, there's ways of assessing the knee that will tell us whether we think, is this a meniscal tear? Is this maybe something that's more related to arthritis? And you also get that from the history too. So it, it's not like we have just one particular way of doing it. It would be very different for what organ or what body part that we're assessing. Are, are we getting any better at long-term management of pain, do you think? Well, the problem is, is that we're kind of, we're narrowed down to very, uh, a very finite amount of medications. And al- although they're changing over time and they are improving, we still have the same age old issue, which we're going to go on to talk about of opioid addictions and addictions also of like just any prescribed medication, which may be pain related, but isn't an opioid. Yeah. So, so yes and no. And we still only have the same categories of pain meds currently. The, the, the ones that we fundamentally tend to use haven't changed. So, you know, we are still looking at NSAIDs, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like Brufin, your typical paracetamol, an opioid, and then maybe a, a benzodiazepine. Then for like more neuropathic pain, which I think there's a little bit more research into, you might be looking at antidepressant medications such as amitriptyline. The, the, the triptylines tend to be quite good for neuropathic pain or progabalin, again, something that is for a neuropathic type pain. So there's maybe a little bit more movement in those, but otherwise they haven't, they haven't really okay. changed. Wow. And and I know we, 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 we've talked around opioids just a bit. We haven't really talked about opioids at all, but at the addictive nature to them. Can, can we get addicted to any pain reliever, really? I mean, even, you know, uh, going any of them? Well, certain medications will be more addictive in the way that they make the body feel. So opioids tend to make people especially people that are opioid sensitive quite fatigued a bit spaced out and it's it's that feeling that people get addicted to whereas something like a paracetamol doesn't actually affect the brain so it will affect more locally at the area of, of pain and the inflammation so it doesn't have that feel good property people can get addicted to a habit so the habit of taking a paracetamol okay. and thoughts of if I don't take my paracetamol, I am going to experience pain. And again, that's right. another reason why people might want to go on a pain course to say, well, actually, maybe you could try and maybe you could be more positive in wanting to withdraw from particular medication, seeing how it goes. And it doesn't necessarily mean that the pain will come on. So it can be the habit side and also the, the side that makes you feel. So there are definitely medications that have got more addictive properties than others. Man, that, I mean, that becomes a challenge, isn't it? Because you're you're trying to sort things out. You've got these potential medications, but you don't want it to become a, a an addiction in that you just need it because you feel good or an addiction in the sense of, well, I just need it because when I take it, I don't get pain anymore. So I want to make sure I just constantly have it. And if I don't, oh, I'm starting to feel a little bit of a niggle there. I better get I better get some of this on board. I mean, this yeah, is a challenge. There's, there's a whole, there's a whole other side of the fence. So people, and we, we often like to use my grandma, or I like to use my grandma as a reference, who's 94, who's struggling with horrendous pain, but refuses to take a paracetamol in case Why? Why? it stops working. Oh. She, she doesn't want it to stop working. She doesn't want to take a tablet. Oh. So, you know, there's, there's the people that are so desperate to take everything to make sure they've got no level of pain whatsoever. And they're convinced that they don't take them every day. They will get pain and maybe they will, maybe they won't. 
And then there's the other people, tends to be the older generation, who will not take anything on principle. They feel like it's a weakness to take it. And yet they live their, their life with debilitating pain that we could actually help manage yeah. or relieve. So it's oh, <laughs> somewhere man. in the middle is, yeah. is, is helpful. Well, and, and I always make the mistake of reading the boxes of these things, even the over-the-counter mm -hmm. stuff. When you start reading the boxes, you know, it's, oh, potentially could have liver problems, oh, could have kidney problems, could have, it's like, you know, yes, they do things, and yes, they're tried and true, and yes, they've gone through a lot of people, but they don't put those warnings on them because it doesn't happen to, even if it's 1% of people who are consuming them, that, that to me, I always find a little worrisome. I think it's really important to look at the most common side effects. Try not to talk yourself into getting it because that doesn't mean everybody gets it. But some of the lesser known, the less common side effects, you've got to remember that there's such a small percentage and you, a lot of people will also have other comorbidities that could be causing it. They might have taken another tablet at the same time. Maybe right. it's that. It's sometimes quite hard to decipher exactly what side effect was linked with that particular medication. And even with a really common drug, um, all right, it will materialize a little bit a little bit easier what, what is a common side effect or not a common side effect. But with a, with a newer drug, it's a little bit harder because yeah. people will ring up to the helpline and say, I've just experienced a headache and exactly. I've medication. <laughs> but you don't know, maybe they're suffering with a lot of stress at that time, but it has to be published because yeah. it's it's been it's been recorded. So you know, you've got to be aware of the, the more serious side effects, of course. Um, but I'd say more of the common side effects are more likely, but don't, <laughs> it's hard. I can't say to people, don't read them because it's important that you yeah. are aware before you take a medication. But at the same time, don't talk yourself into getting them either because the brain and the mind is exceptionally powerful. One of the, the things you just brought up, which always sort of resonates for me, is that mixing and matching and not, you know, quite knowing even over the counter things that you've, you've, you're taking a few things and one of them might have an effect on the other. And that's, yes. that's really important to always keep in mind. Well, I will never forget my, my granddad had um, bladder cancer, which he didn't know about at the time. And he had some blood in his urine and him saying, Susie, to my mum, I know it was the stripes on them humbugs that I ate yesterday that caused that blood. Because people can make strong connections in their mind that aren't even there. He didn't yeah. know that he had bladder cancer that then needed to be looked at and, and potentially looked at treating. But people can make very strong connections in their mind. And it's, yeah. it's difficult because... I think unless you have had a good, strong history with somebody, you spoke to them, what else have you taken? Sometimes you can't always know exactly straight away what's caused what, but you can be aware, okay, it's not just this. It could also be this. Let's maybe try this one tomorrow and exclude the other one. And in a few days we can, we can swap it over and find out. Sometimes there needs to be a little bit more detective work. Yeah. You know, the one that always gets me is, you know, when you, when you've got some pain somewhere and you've always got a friend, maybe it's back pain, back pain seems to be pretty common. I must just be around that yeah. age group. And you know, you walk, common, James. you walk in and it's got the, Oh, I got, it's always, Oh, I got, I got some stuff you got to try, go and get this stuff. Whether it's Neurofin, I think Neurofin was one that, that it got thrown at me once and said, go try this, which is really a combination of two things. So it, it's, it, it, you know, it does whatever it does. But everyone's got a remedy. You take. <laughs> yeah, that's it, right? And everyone's got, it, it's, a, I always find it amazing how everyone has got a suggestion for you. Yeah, and you know, as long as it's, it's not medicinal, so if someone's saying try 
try a bit a heat pack, try an ice pack, you know, as long as it's it's safe to use, yeah. there's no harm in, in trying these things. Uh, just check them with your doctor first that it won't aggravate the problem that you already have yeah. or make something totally worse. But yeah, there's we're always as a, a community, we're always going to share, look, try this, try that. You often recommend your osteopath. Some people are really against osteopaths. I'm right into the osteopath. <laughs> but but don't forget as well, pain. We talked about being subjective for different individuals. Yeah. Pain is also subjective for us on a different day. If we're suffering an awful lot with stress, a lot with anxiety, our pain is going to be worse. And on a day we're feeling really motivated, maybe there's something we're excited about doing, and therefore our pain is going to be a little bit less. So yeah. it, it also depends on what's going on in our life with how, how much we notice the pain. Yeah. Because um, don't forget, pain, you can distract to a certain extent sure. the amount of pain you have. It's like when a child rubs o- falls over and they hurt their knee, the first thing we do is we rub it. And it's because we distract the mind <laughs> right. with the rubbing. And it, 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 the, the sense of the touch actually keeps the mind occupied. It's, it doesn't notice the pain as much. Yeah, there we go. I, I You know, it's funny, I, with jogging and stuff, we're both runners. We both get different kinds of pains in legs and hips and things. And I found if I'm consistent in stretching after and before I run and maybe sometime in the middle of the day, and I've found, I've, I've just come across a number of different wacky stretches that, that are just so common that you'd never think they would do anything, but it's amazing how they, they, they just zone right in on these muscles. And if I do these stretches, I never have any pain. And it's, and if I don't do them, then I'm, you know, I'm jumping for a Panadol now and then it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm, oh, this is killing me. I need a Panadol and it goes away. But if I do the stretches, they also go away. So it's, it's totally in my control to we, sort this we, out. Yeah. When it comes to injuries and things as well, a lot of, a lot of them are caused by everything being too tight. Yeah. And think about it. If your hamstring is tight, it pulls on your calf, which pulls on the muscles of your feet and your Achilles tendon. So if you can stretch them out and stop them being too tight, you are less prone to those overuse type, right. um, injuries from your tendons you know, so yeah that makes that makes a lot of sense james well done on well done on managing your pain before it even arrives <laughs> I'll, I'll share them with you but you know the, the crazy thing is i sometimes think when it comes to pain and i know someone who's got chronic pain is going to go you know you're wrong but i sometimes think we're just too lazy in looking at what's going on here what's causing all these things and it's easier to head to the medicine cabinet than it is to, you know, get off the, you know, you're getting lots of headaches and things. Maybe you shouldn't be in front of your computer so long, right? You know, oh, I'm getting really bad neck yeah. pain. And and then you look at the person and you say, how, how, how much time do you spend on your social media? Because you're really crouched over and you're, where you're talking about the pain is where you're crouched over because you're on your social media. So what if you get off your phone and, and don't, you know what I mean? I'd say it depends so much on the the person's problem. Like some people, for instance, uh, oncology type patients, very, I mean, you know, it's very difficult. There are other people for sure with back pain that what the ideal solution would be, give medications in the acute phase, get them moving, stretching, seeing an osteopath, whatever the treatment plan that's appropriate for that person may be, and then try and reduce the pain meds down. You know, use it as a bit of a a plaster or a band-aid to get them to where they need to be. But in that, whilst it's really bad for these people, you you can't get them to change the behavior initially because the pain is occupying their mind. So if you can take that away and then try and get them to reduce down on the pain meds, it's it's great. You know, it's like I talk a lot 
to a lot of people that are suffering with really bad depression if you can treat the depression get them doing the talking therapies that you can manage the depression and then take the depressive med- uh, the medications away that's that's like the ideal situation so i agree and i, I disagree at the same time uh, i think it depends on the individual yeah. individual person and there's nothing wrong with taking them in the short term there's nothing wrong with taking them in the long term for certain people as and, and obviously it's a cost benefit ratio to what else can we do for you right what are your parting words on pain jenna just the pain is going to affect everybody at some point in their life try to manage it sensibly speak with the doctor about what other options there are other than medications as james said don't just reach for that cabinet is there anything that you can do yourself to help manage the pain and for those people that don't want to take pain meds you know let let us try and help you some you might doesn't just because you take them for a week two weeks maybe even a month doesn't mean you're going to be on them for the rest of your life and also that we need to talk about opioid addiction at some point james yeah, we, no, uh, we got so caught up we're that's our next that's our next podcast is 100 percent opioid addiction that's what we're going to talk about that's where we're going 100 the next one i'll be there there we go dr <laughs> jenna burton always here full of great advice and you can get a hold of jenna at dr jenna burton all across the socials right that's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Dr. Jenna Burton or drjennaburton.com. There we go. It's that simple. She's here with us all the time. We podcast together and we're going to be talking opioids in our next edition. Thanks for joining us. This is Doc Talk. <laughs>